Now, by 1931, the route was through to Karachi from London. It had become well established, and they, there were plans made for extending it still further on an experimental basis right through to Australia. Now, what preparations were made for this particular first experimental flight? It was decided in London that an experimental flight should be made beyond the existing terminal, Karachi, as far as Darwin, carrying first cover mails, of course. And this experimental flight was to be followed by a second about a month later. The flight was to commence from Karachi in a specially prepared DH-66 GEBMW, which was called the City of Cairo. The special preparations made were to fit an extra fuel tank to give us sufficient range over some of the sectors that had been planned. Now you left uh, Karachi with this mail which had been brought out on the regular Imperial Airways service on April the 13th, 1931. How did the stages go? Together with Captain Roger Mullard, who had been appointed as co-pilot to me, we left Karachi on April the 13th and flew to Singapore on the planned stages, arriving at Singapore on April the 16th, having night stopped at Allahabad, Akyab, Victoria Point. From Singapore onwards, things did not go quite as smoothly as they had done on the previous stages. We left Singapore on April the 17th, refueling at Montauk Island and Batavia. But on arrival at Batavia, it was quite clear we would not make Surabaya our planned destination before dark, not knowing what night flying facilities there were in Surabaya, we decided to carry on as far as we could. And we ended up that day at Semarang. We then decided that if we made a night flight to Surabaya from Semarang to arrive in Surabaya at dawn, we would be back on schedule. This we did, but the Netherlands authorities in Surabaya informed us that our next refueling stop at Bima, an island about halfway between Surabaya and Kupang, was underwater and that we could not land there. This delayed us considerably and we were unable to leave Surabaya until April the 19th, the next morning, 
having arranged to refuel at the island of Lombok. Now this was only a short distance from Surabaya, leaving us a long sector from Lombok to Kupang. We had difficulty in finding out what fuel stocks there were at Lombok, but were assured that there were some. So off we set and landed at Lombok, only to find that the uh, dump of fuel was evidently a very old one, because the fuel in drums and four-gallon tins was contaminated with rust. In point of fact, uh, it was like putting red ink into the uh, tanks. However, I thought probably it would work all right, and it did. How did you set about loading this fuel? Um, uh, we had a, a swicky pump with us uh, and uh, put a long pipe into the into the drums and pumped it up and in the case of the four gallon tins we put it lift, took them up to the top wing and poured them in through chamois poured the petrol in through chamois this must have taken a fair amount of time yes it did and however it still left us time to get to Kupang um, all went very well indeed um, to a point halfway called Sassar Point on Sumba Island and our ground speed was very satisfactory and all seemed to be well. But about an hour later we noticed that the, uh, there were white horses on the sea and that the wind was coming straight at us, a very strong headwind indeed, and as we got nearer Kupang it increased in velocity to such an extent that we soon began to get apprehensive about our remaining fuel and uh, as a result we got right down on to the sea uh, as low as we could over the sea which is always a good thing to do in in the face of a headwind with a an aircraft of such a uh, a low cruising speed and uh, whereas at a thousand feet or two thousand feet the wind was probably five or ten miles an hour fast, more faster. So it soon became apparent that we were either going to run out of petrol before we got to Kupang, or it would be a very near thing. And uh, events showed that, that the latter was the case. Uh, in point of fact, as we crossed over the first bit of land we came to on Timor, only about uh, eight miles from Kupang, uh, the, ga the petrol gauges were showing nil. And I was expecting one or two or even all three engines to cut at any time. Now, in a position like that, one has to make up one's mind pretty quickly about landing. And as it so happened, straight ahead of me I could see what looked like a a long 700-yard field, nice green grass, and rather than risk um, searching around for anywhere better, I decided that rather than get caught with an engine cutting or two engines cutting 
whilst making an approach, I would go straight in and land. Uh, we made a very good landing in this grass, which turned out to be about five feet tall. I think they call it elephant grass there. And we were just coming, uh, slowing down to a stop when the port wheel hit a rock and broke the undercarriage on that side. The most unfortunate ending to a, a very worrying flight. What other damage uh, happened to the aircraft? <coughs> um, the wheel, uh, when the undercarriage broke, the wheel came up and uh, penetrated the lower wing and, um, and that was all. It was severe enough to realize that uh, the flight was at an end because there were no facilities on Timor for uh, effecting a, a repair to, uh, of that magnitude. Um, in many of the accounts that appeared in the paper, they describe it as a crash. Well, I suppose in a way it was, but uh, to my way of thinking, it was a broken undercarriage, and the rest of the aircraft was in perfectly good order. Uh, we had a cable from London telling us to dismantle it and ship the whole thing to Durban. This we did. All three engines were in perfect condition. Uh, we shipped the fuselage complete and the starboard wings were packed and crated and they arrived at Durban and were sent up to Germiston as spares for the South African operation which had just started there or was about to start there. Uh, everything as far as I can remember was used in due course. Um, an aircraft landed at Salisbury and in a soft patch tipped, tipped up and fell back and strained the fuselage. So our city of Cairo fuselage was sent up from Germiston and fitted onto the aircraft that had been damaged. All three engines were used again and the wings were kept in store for the um, usual annual overhaul of uh, airframe. Now, during this um, emergency landing, uh, were any of the crew injured at all? No, no one was hurt and there wasn't even a jolt. Uh, I think um, in jumping from the uh, fuselage to the ground, uh, my flight engineer, Mr. Garner, uh, cut his knee on, a, on the rock which had broken our undercarriage, but it was it wasn't a serious cut it was just a superficial cut and the males were intact the, yes the males were intact and uh, the following day we received a cable from london and uh, telling us that uh, someone would come and collect them from australia uh, it turned out to be sir charles kingsford smith uh, in the southern cross he picked them up and carried them on to sydney and then you met him again when he brought the northbound males on their way through. Yes, that's right. Um, it was then arranged that he should uh, bring the northbound males 
through and fly them as far as Akyab, where he would be met by a, a, a DH-66, and which would uncarry them to Cairo. Um, Sir Charles arrived with his first officer, uh, Scotty Allen, and uh, they picked up me and took me with them as far as Akyab. Now, when uh, you were in Copang, uh, waiting for Sir Charles to come back. How did you amuse yourself? There was absolutely nothing to do whatsoever. We were in a wretched little um, government deck bungalow. Uh, the food was simply dreadful. Uh, there was no time to uh, enjoy ourselves in any way, even if there had been a, any, such a facility. We were all of us hard at it, dismantling the city of Cairo and uh, supervising its uh, crating for shipment. And uh, by and large, there was nothing else to do there. Um, sounds a bit unkind, but uh, the inhabitants of Kupang um, seemed to ignore us completely. We never once even invited to meet anyone there. We just existed in this bungalow, never saw anybody except our agent, who was a Eurasian and a very able man. And apart from that contact, we we didn't meet anyone in Kupang. Do you think this was the nature of the uh, people themselves, or uh, do you feel there was uh, a feeling uh, against the British starting an airline, an air route through uh, I've often tried to analyze uh, the reason for this. Um, I can't think that there was anyone in Kupang uh, of sufficient seniority to hold the view you have suggested. I think it was just sheer apathy. They weren't just weren't interested. Although it has been suggested that further back um, along the route, in some of the other places, such as Surabaya, uh, there was uh, a slightly hostile attitude towards Imperial Airways. Well, I must admit that I I sensed that, but uh, no, con I couldn't offer any concrete evidence that such was the attitude of the Dutch authorities there. We certainly got the feeling that they didn't mind where we went. They just told us that it was a drop of fuel at Lombok Island, and that was that. They didn't seem very interested whether we got through safely or not. 